Uh, so we are doing sort of second week of a new series started last week about called Seven Marks of a Beautiful Church, uh, which are uh, seven things that I wanted to pull out that I think make for a beautiful and functioning church. The first three are uh, things that, that every church uh, should be doing that, that are focused on discipleship, worship, spiritual formation, mission, and then the last four are going to be things that we, uh, we feel are things that churches need to focus on and emphasize to be on point, to be in mission in our time, in our place, in pla- in place where God has placed us, particularly as a church. And so last week we talked about worship as like the foundation, the starting place of Christian discipleship, that it's in worship that God is shaping us and forming us and reminding us who we are and that through the power of his spirit, through word, through sacrament, he is lifting us up into the heavenly places and we're being saturated in, in the heavenly things. Uh, and then from there now, this week we're going to talk about spiritual formation, the second part of discipleship. And so if you would please stand, uh, we're going to read from Colossians Chapter 3, verses 1 through 17. This is God's inerrant word. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then also you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. And these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. There's this, like, big, there's this big question. Right next to, maybe the big, right next to the big question that, 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 that you hear so often, that maybe you think so often, maybe haunt you, the big question of what is God's will for my life, right next to that is the big question of what is Christian maturity? What is 
growth in the Christian life? What does it even mean? What, is it, what are we supposed to do? What does it look like? I, um, I have a friend who, 12 years, I met, I met this person, they were 12 years in the Christian faith. <clears throat> uh, and uh, after 12 years in the Christian faith, the life of this person was really characterized by, by resentment and anger and unforgiveness and nurturing old wounds and hurts to the point where oh, this person's internal life was just chaos. But on the outside, they looked great. Uh, they looked great. And the reason for this, the reason why, is because in the broader church, where this person uh, was part of, the measurement of Christian maturity, the measurement of Christian growth, was measured uh, in things like the depth of emotional experience and worship. If you were the guy up front with your hands up in the air, you were super spiritual. Or uh, uh, maybe uh, there was another measure was uh, consistent, joyful, and positive attitude. No matter what was happening, you were just like on fire for Jesus. No matter what may be going on inside, uh, there was also like a subjective sense of God's presence and devotions or charismatic gifts like visions, dreams, word from God, speaking in tongues, uh, or worse, really, if you, if you were basically like a type A person and you had a stable secular life and you were able to like put it all together and you had a nice home and a nice car and a successful career... Uh, and, and a good education, and then that was just like, you kind of assumed if you had all that together, you must be mature in the Christian faith as well. And in 12 years of this person's life, no one was ever able to diagnose or discern that there was just havoc and suffering going on just below the surface because the idea uh, of Christian growth and maturity had become a lost art in the church. <clears throat> uh, and maybe you're listening to that and you're thinking, oh, I know churches like that. And as much as I would like to say that this, was, this is a new thing, it's not. This is, the whole context of the book of Colossians is Paul writing to a church that's suffering through these same things. After he the church had been founded, these super spiritual people came in and were saying these things, that really Christian maturity is all about being super spiritual on the outside. And these people had hijacked the church and were teaching people that the essence of Christian maturity was all about rigid aesthetic rules, how can, who can fast longest and hardest and then tell everybody about it, or about visions from angels, or about um, Christian maturity was about uh, visions, revelations from God, and strict religious ritual. And Paul says, what Paul says is that all that is worthless. He says, this is what he says, these have the intended, these have indeed the appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. He says that in chapter 2 right before this passage. And so if that's true, what does have value? What does have value in Christian growth and maturity? And that's what this passage is about. What is Christian growth and spiritual formation all about? Paul says, 
that from the starting point of salvation, God renews us into the divine likeness through worship, Christian education, and community. Let me say that again. That's the big idea of this passage. That from the starting point of salvation, God renews us into the divine likeness through worship, Christian education, and community. Let's look at the starting point. From the starting point of salvation. I got this, uh, I, I got this running app, one of those running apps you get that's supposed to like, track you around the, the block as you run, and then it gives you your time and the miles that you ran. And so I got it, and I set it all up, and I went on my first run with it, and I got back to the house, and I ran three, three and a quarter miles, not bad, but I was doing like ten and a half minute miles, and I was just discouraged and ashamed of myself for running ten minute miles. And then one day I decided to check the app against my stopwatch on my phone, and I did the same track, same thing, and the stopwatch said I was actually running nine minute miles, and I thought, I am like a superstar. <coughs> And that's probably about as good as it's going to get for me at this point in time. So I'm going to be happy, be happy with nine-minute miles. And I know some of you run like six-minute miles, and that's amazing. But does anybody, does anybody know, does anybody know, listen, does anybody know who Eliud Chipoge is? You ever heard that name? Eliud, good, solid Old Testament name. Chipoge, he is a marathon runner who in September of 2018 in the Berlin, just last year in the Berlin Marathon, he ran a marathon in two hours, one minute, and 39 seconds. You do the math on that, it means he averaged four minute and 38.4 second miles. Four minute, 38 second miles. 26 of them in a row. Can you imagine? Can you imagine like how much that would hurt? <coughs> Well, listen, he is, Eliud, um, listen, he is incredibly disciplined. He trained hard every day from the day he was 16 when he started running. But there's something else that's special about him that makes him very fast, and that is he is, he was raised in the western Rift Valley in Africa, in Kenya, and there is just something special about that place growing up there. And I read a bunch of articles about it yesterday. They, nobody can really pinpoint exactly what it is. It might, it's partly the environment. It's high altitude. It's partly the fact that there's crushing poverty around that and everybody has to basically run to school and run back in the high altitude. It's partly the diet. There's not any processed foods in the diet. Um, it's partly genetics. He's, he's 5'5", 123 pounds, and his BMI is such that it gives him this crazy ability uh, to process oxygen. And so if you're, if you're, if you're raised in that community, in, those, in that place in the world, uh, and you put all those things together, Eliud was literally born to run. Did he train hard? Yes. Was he disciplined? Yes. But all of that was really fine-tuning in the shaping of what he already was. It was never a question of whether or not he was going to be a great runner. Uh, from the minute he started training in high school, he was virtually guaranteed to win. Now, what does that have to do with this? Is that Paul says the most important part of our spiritual formation is realizing who and what you really are. Starting from a foundation, a platform of victory. Yes, he says, there's training, 
There's struggle. There's discipline involved in it. Uh, But because of who we are in Christ, we approach spiritual formation knowing that we are guaranteed to win because we are already saved. We struggle from a position of victory, not towards a position of victory. And that is so crucial. Paul puts that first in this passage and pretty much everywhere he writes. He first puts what's true of us in Jesus and then after he settles that question, he says, now, because this is true of you, here's how you can act into who you really are. Uh, Listen to what he says in the very first part of this passage again. Verses 1 through 4. He says, "Then, if, if then, really that should be translated since. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. And set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died. Your life is hidden with him, in, with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. This is what he says. He says, you have been raised with Christ, you have already died with Christ, and you are guaranteed to be revealed in glory with Christ. And then down the passage a little bit, when he starts over again, he says that you are chosen of God, you are holy, you are beloved of God, which means adopted child. Uh, When we do communion every week, most weeks, when I get to the part where we, where we, where we take the bread, I say, I say the, you know, the, the, the bread that we break is our participation in the body of Christ. And what that means, what that means when we say participation, it means that there's a one-to-one spiritual correspondence. What happened to Jesus is considered as just as true for us. So that when Christ died, God considers that as our death. When Christ was judged on the cross, God considers that to be our judgment. Christ took our judgment for us so that we will never be judged again. And when Christ was raised from the dead, it was our guarantee that we also would be raised from the dead and will appear with him in glory. Those are the foundational truths of the Christian life and the foundational truths of spiritual formation. Uh, Part of the reason why do we do communion every week and part of the reason why we preach on this every week because it's all over the place in the Bible and because we constantly need to be reminded that's our reality. And because of that, that's what makes it so tragic when the church switches those things around. When it says instead, first, you must be spiritually formed and then, once you're spiritually formed, you can be saved. That is tragic. Why? Because it takes all the power that we have away from us. And it makes us, it's a big giant bowl of discouragement in the morning for breakfast. of Spiritual discouragement and, 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 and fear, really. Uh, I mean, think about, there's all kinds of things that you might try or do if you knew you were guaranteed to succeed or couldn't get hurt, right? You might try a trapeze act if you knew there was a big net not so far down, right? No net, no way. I'm, not, I'm going to be too afraid to even try it. In the same way, if, we, if we're looking at our spiritual formation as something that we have to master in order to be in God's good graces, the amount of fear that that will cause us 
will cause most of us to not even start. And those people that do have certain personalities or are able to manage some sort of behavior modification, it'll just make us prideful. Uh, And maybe even more tragic than that is that it changes the motivation. It changes our motivation for spiritual formation away from an act of worship to God, which is what Paul says in Romans 12, this is your spiritual act of worship based on everything I just said about who Jesus is, what he's done for you, that you are saved. Now because of that, this is your spiritual act of worship. It changes, our motive changes from being an act of worship to an act of self-preservation. And if spiritual growth and maturity is the essence of it, is being outside of ourselves and forgetting ourselves in order to love others and love God, how can that even be possible if every move you make is based on protecting yourself, preserving yourself, being in fear of what might happen if you don't do it right? It totally annihilates even our ability to move forward in the Christian life. So what that means for us, the truth of what that means for us, is that when we talk about scary words like striving after holiness or the splendor of holiness, or we talk about the cultivation of virtue or growing in the Christian life or sanctification, what we mean is that every single bit of that effort is coming from a position of victory in Christ solid salvation in him and all of it is an act of worship and love and gratitude to God for what he's already given us. There's safety and security in that. And in that, when we do that, we find out uh, that even even though we, we think we're offering this up as a worship, something we're doing for God, God will never be a debtor to his people and as we go along find out that he's really shaping us in our ability to love, shaping us in Christ's likeness which is a blessing to us and the, the reward is in, its, in, in it, in it for us. The reward of, is becoming more like the divine image and so it's win, win, win and a cycle of offering up our, our, our obedience as worship to God, God blessing us through it, seeing him as more beautiful being more motivated in the cycle of spiritual formation revolves around that in safety and in worship and in God blessing his people back. So, second part. The first part is we start from that position. The starting point of spiritual formation is salvation. The second part is that from that victory, God renews us into the divine likeness. Um, Now, I'm, like I said, probably never going to be a marathon runner. Uh, But I have, a couple times in my life, gotten into pretty good shape. And this weird thing happens when you exercise a lot is that your appetites change. When you, uh, before that, you know, I used to, at one point in my time, just used to eat Big Macs, and drink Coke by the gallon, and I would love it. It was great. Tasted amazing and couldn't wait to get more. Amen? No, I'm saying, dog. <coughs> uh, and, but then, there was a period in my life I lost 50 pounds, and all of a sudden my appetites changed. Uh, my, uh, 
I could drink a Coke or I could go eat a Big Mac and it would taste okay. But then afterwards, it would leave this bad taste in my mouth. Why did I do that? Why was that? It's because really my nature had changed in a way. My chemical makeup had changed in a certain way so that what I used to really enjoy, now when I dug into it, it was like kind of nasty. I think that happens, right? Well, the Bible says that when you become a Christian, God gives us a new nature. It's even way more dramatic than going from unhealthy to healthy. It's going from spiritually dead to spiritually alive. In your old nature, you could just sin, sin, sin all day long and love it and want some more. But in our new nature, uh, we may still have old habits and behaviors and appetites and you can still go back and you can engage in those things. You can engage in those old sins and they may taste okay at first, but they're going to leave a bad taste in your mouth. At the end of it, you're going to be like, "Ah, man, why would I do that? And then later on, you're going to say, man, why did I do that again? (laughs) So what Paul says is this. Paul says in this passage is that spiritual formation is basically about taking off or putting off the old, the behaviors, the appetites, the attitudes that belong to who we used to be even though we may still identify with them, even though we may still feel like they're us, and instead to put on, uh, replace them, to put on new behaviors, appetites, attitudes that belong to who we are in our new nature. And he, and, he, and, he, and he likens it to clothing. We take off our old, dirty, soiled gym clothes from who we used to be, and we put on these new, really royal robes of beauty that Christ is giving us. Uh, and the word, the words, old man, new man, in the words themselves, it has this, this is my favorite part, it has this connotation of old, obsolete, fading away, and new is like new, improved, superior, spiritual, the new man that is who we already are. We're just learning how to be and how to develop the appetites of the new heart that God's already given us. That's the gist of it. So knowing that, listening to that, listen to, uh, listen to these, these lists that Paul gives. Follow along with me if you want. I'm going I'm to stick pretty close to the text right here if you've got uh, the insert in your bulletin or your Bible with you from verse 5. Paul talks about putting off the old man. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, those are actions. Impurity, that means like the guilt and shame that surround those actions. Passion is the internal drives. Evil desire is the lusts of our hearts. And covetousness is really the base condition of who we are. Restless, irritable, discontent, never, ever quite satisfied, no matter how much we may be able to get. Uh, And that, Paul says, that, listen, this is so interesting. He says, that is idolatry. I always think about, in the old day, in the ancient Near East, idolatry was bowing down to statues, strictly 
But now in our modern world, we have to kind of translate that into, because we don't have statues of gods for the most part, we have to kind of translate that into uh, really the desires of the lust that were those gods used to satisfy. But Paul, even Paul, is saying, no, 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 no. The essence of idolatry isn't bowing down to the statue. The essence of idolatry is what you're using that fake god as a tool to get. And I want you to... This is, look at this, this is, this is really important. He's moving, as he lists these things out, he's moving from outside to inside. He's moving from outside actions and behaviors in, in, inward towards the inner man and towards the base condition of the heart. Let me read those again. Sexual immorality, that's actions, impurity, is like the guilt and shame we feel. Passion is the internal drives, that's closer to the center. The evil desires are the lusts of our hearts. And then all the way in the center is the covetousness, which is the base condition that just desires more and more and more. It's kind of who we are. And Paul says, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. Coming in that verse is actually present tense. He's not saying, because of these things, Someday in the future, you're going to suffer consequences. He's saying, right now, caught up in these things, people are suffering and it's causing pain and destruction in the lives of real people, the consequences of these things. And that God allowing those consequences to play out is the wrath of God, which makes it merciful. God is allowing us to be burned by the fire so that we will see sin for what it is. Uh, And then, uh, next list, anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Kind of the same thing. Now he works from inside to outside. Anger, the state of the heart. Wrath, malice, slander, or attitudes, obscene talk coming out of your mouth. Lying to one another. Uh, Those are all actions. And so, when he says, then moves to putting on the new man, he says, Put on then as God's chosen as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, that's our state, the inner condition of our hearts, kindness, humility, and meekness and patience, that's our attitudes, which results in bearing with one another and forgiving each other, those are actions. And he says all of these things comprise this inner controlling principle of love. That all of those things comprise what love is. Caring more about others than you do about yourself and being shaped into someone who's like the divine nature. Caring more about serving uh, and caring for others than using them or hating them or what the works of the flesh cause us to do. And so there's really two two parts to that. There's the change, there's a change in what we worship. We move from worshiping sensuality to worshiping God. And in that, there's real satisfaction away from irritable, restless discontentness. And there's a change in our character of who we are in our hearts from from selfish and from self-serving to compassionate, kind, humble, meek, patient, bearing with one another, forgiving, loving kinds of people. 
And the result of all this, the result, the overarching result, it says that the peace of Christ will rule your heart. Peace in the Jewish context is what? Shalom. It's like, it's not just like not nobody bothering you on the couch peace, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Precious in a house with a bunch of kids. <laughs> It's wholeness, complete wholeness of person that God is restoring us into. That's the process. That's what's happening. That's the answer to what is Christian growth and Christian maturity. It's God changing us from the inside out, not just changing behaviors, but changing who we are on the inside so that what we think the attitudes that we have, what we love, and then eventually what we do just naturally becomes a different progression of things. And that's something only God can do. That's something only the Spirit can do on the inside, moving us outwards. And the goal is to become molded into the ethical or the moral image of God or of Christ. We gain and get closer to His character. We take on the family likeness. Uh, not visions, not ritual, not harsh treatment of the body, but growing in our likeness to Jesus, simply put. So how does that even happen? Last part. God renews us into the divine likeness through worship, Christian education, and community. I mean, the first thing we need to say is that that is an act of God. God is working in and through us by the power of his spirit to produce these things. But there's also means that he's given us. We call them means of grace that God has given us to participate in, to begin to saturate us, and to fill us, fill us with the knowledge of Christ, the glory of Jesus. And one of my favorite analogies of, 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 of Christian growth and maturity is, is, is getting soap out of a soapy glass. You know, if you got like a bunch of soap or you put too much dish soap in the glass, you're going to wash it forever to get the soap out, you know, and then you're paranoid because you don't want to put the dish thing away with soap in it. And the next time you get it, you got a soapy, soapy drink, so you're extra careful. But if you just put, if you just put the glass under the water and let it fill up, the water carries all the soap on the surface and pours it out over the top. And so as you fill the glass with water, the soapy soap, the icky soap taste comes out. And that's kind, of how, uh, that's kind of how growing in the Christian life is. You don't like concentrate on the soap. You don't concentrate on the sin. More than that, you concentrate on Jesus. You take your eyes off of yourself. You take your eyes off of how horrible you think you are, how horrible the devil wants to tell you you are, and instead you look outside of Jesus and fill yourself up with what he says is true about us, what God says is true about us. Uh, and so God renews inside that passive, it's happening to us. And at the same time, he says, set your mind on things above. Uh, Paul, otherwise, elsewhere, Paul says, uses the word that really means to, to, to struggle in agony, to like struggle against and to struggle in this, to struggle after righteousness. Not, again, in fear but to struggle from the position of victory after 
this righteousness, not because we need it to be pleasing to God, but because he says it's worth it. The payoff of it is beautiful and it's a blessing to us. And so God has given us at least three things that I want to point out that we can use to fill ourselves up. First is worship. We talked about that the whole sermon last week. was really about worship and how God shapes us into who we truly are. When it says... In here, when it says, be thankful, that word isn't, doesn't mean just a grateful attitude. It really means an, an outward expression, expression of thanksgiving, really in the context of worship. And he follows that up with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. In the early church, much of worship was sung. They would sing catechisms. They would sing the creeds and confessions. Uh, and in so doing, they would be offering gratitude and worship to God. Um, so thank, being thankful... In corporate worship is God shaping us. We talked a lot about that last week, so we don't have to really go deep into it again today. The second one is Christian education. Uh, Tim told a whole class on that this morning. It says to set our minds. It says being renewed in knowledge. Elsewhere, Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. How does that happen? It happens through learning. It happens through setting our minds on the things of Christ and being educated in the things of Christ. One of my favorite stories from seminary, one of our professors told a story about this United Methodist minister who was preaching and he was a minister at a college chapel and one of the students came up to afterwards to him and said, he said, you know, you're really not addressing me. You're not really talking to me or preaching to me where I'm at as a modern woman on an, on, an, uh, on an academic campus. You're just boring me. Basically is what she's saying. You're boring me to death. You're not saying anything valuable to me. And he corrected her lovingly by saying, well, if you are a Christian, you're not essentially uh, uh, in modern America or in an academic setting. More than anything, the foundational reality is you are in Christ and you have an obligation to learn what that means so that you can begin to think like a Christian and act like a Christian, uh, which then produces peace. And in the earliest, from the very earliest days of the church, they would set up schools, little schools, catechetical schools, then turned into cathedral schools, that then turned into church schools, which now have morphed into Sunday schools. Why do we have classes on, on Sunday before church teaching theology and doctrine because we need to be renewed in our minds. And let me tell you something. For real. You are being catechized every day when you walk out your door. You are being catechized into secular religious systems. You are being taught a liturgy of life. You are being taught what is valuable. You are being taught doctrines about truth, doctrines about justice, doctrines about love, what love means, doctrines about what is the good life, doctrines about what is salvific, what saves you. And those things affect us. We all get caught up in that. And I'm going to tell you straight up right now, some of you are suffering because you're not thinking like Christians. You may believe Christian beliefs, 
But those beliefs, you don't have the framework of, of theology, of doctrine, in order to make sense of the world around you and you're being tossed around by all these different beliefs and you don't even know that's happening. You're suffering because you are not thinking like a Christian. You can't live like a Christian. You can't act like a Christian if you don't think like one. And so Christian education is fantastically important. And not only that, without understanding those things, and we're not saying, you know, Tim made the point today, we're not saying everybody needs to be a theologian. You know, that's not true. But you need to have a solid, basic understanding of the main themes of the Bible, how it works together, what's true about God, about us, about what our real problem is, about what our real solution is. Uh, Those things need to be clear in our minds, and so Christian education. Where does that happen? In the local church. I mean, it's hard sometimes uh, because we have Christian radio and Christian internet and we have a million podcasts, it's really easy to get, do the smorgasbord approach of get a little bit of this, a little bit of that when you have some time or when you're driving. But that is like a chaotic, you wouldn't do any kind of education like that for real. You wouldn't take a little bit here and a little bit there from this school, a little bit from that school In the local church, we have a system of doctrine and a system of Christian life that we teach systematically. And as you you discipline and submit yourself to that over the course of a year or two years, you will be catechized. You will be educated in the Christian faith in a way that you will be able to live that out and have a a Christian worldview that will be able to answer uh, and live in the world as a Christian. Last thing, the last thing is Christian community. Listen to, listen to verse 12 again, 12 through 14. He says, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, and above all these, put on love. You know what's striking about that? Is that those are all relational categories you can't do any of that meditating in a cave. <laughs> None of it. And what that means is sanctification, Christian growth, is a team sport. My favorite analogy is, is uh, maybe this was from Tim Keller's Center Church, is a rock tumbler, a church or a community group or wherever you get in your Christian community, it's like a rock tumbler. You take all these rough, jagged, rocks and you throw it in there and then you squeeze in some like sand and polish which is like the sin and then you turn the rock tumbler on and it tumbles around and as they tumble into each other and crash into one another then at the end you pull it out what do you get these beautiful polished shiny rocks it's kind of the same thing with us sin is the friction that like builds us in character. We need, that gives us the opportunity to forgive people for sinning against us, which grows us in grace and humility and gentleness and kindness and it shapes our hearts. And also, we sin against people, they forgive us, which also grows you in humility and gentleness and kindness and compassion. And without that, without that, you can't grow. You just can't. Not in the same way. You think about, think about it like a three-legged stool. Worship, Christian education, Christian community.
you're missing any one, you're going to fall over. But all three of them working together, God's spirit in worship, God's word in education, God's people working together, that is able to grow us little by little, step by step into the image of Christ. And it's totally worth it. So my challenge to you this year is to participate fully in the life of this church. I don't mean run in and run out of worship so you can get home to the football game as soon as you can, but I mean come at 9.45 and go to our Sunday school class and commit yourself to it. Commit yourself to a two-year cycle of it so that you can get the full scope of doctrine and Christian life to set as that framework in your mind. Join a community group and be part of a community that's based in this church where you can sin against people and they can sin against you (laughs) and you can forgive each other and grow in grace and come to worship every week and be shaped by God's spirit. I challenge you, do that this year and see what God does with it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, uh, for your word. It is truly beautiful, Lord. You're not telling us to sprint up the steps to heaven and if we are fast enough you'll accept us what you're saying is that you already love us we are already solid in Jesus uh, and that you are now working with us by the power of your spirit in and through us to make us more into uh, into the likeness of Jesus to be more like how you are love more like people who love people who forgive, people who extend grace. Because that is a beautiful life and that ends in shalom, whole-bodied, whole-person peace. And that's what we want, Lord. So I pray that you would convict us, Lord, that we would all participate fully in the life of this church this year. Make worship and Sabbath, Sunday worship, the centerpiece of our life. To be educated in the Christian faith and to be part of a community. And we pray that through that, you would slowly shape us into the image of Jesus, and we would put off all the things that aren't true about us anymore, and that you would begin to work those things in us which are true of us, and that we would be blessed through it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.